Once again, a good morning to you. I'm Adam Wright. It's 7 a.m. and you are listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Let's begin our day together in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day. For all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If I sound a little tired this morning, uh, somewhere along the line, I thought it would be a good idea to take all five of my kids to a Major League Baseball game last night. Luckily, my mom went with me, and that made it a little easier. We made it all the way to the sixth inning stretch, the lesser-known sixth inning stretch, where when your seven-year-old falls asleep on your on grandma's shoulder, it's time to go. It's time to leave. But what a, a good time we had with the kids and all of their classmates going for the school night at the ballpark. And they get to follow it up with field day today. I'm a little, I'm a little jealous. I have great memories of field day when I was in grade school. Uh, but alas, we do not have field day here at Covenant Network. Maybe we'll change that. I don't know. What we do have is a show for you today, and we've got some wonderful stuff on the show. We've got a homily on uh, why moments of glory are brief. We've got a homily on the Ascension, which for all of us, you know, today is Ascension Thursday. Now, for many in our country, we transfer that feast to Sunday liturgically, but today is the day. We're going to talk about that quite a bit today. We've got a homily on the Ascension, and then Father Wade Menezes uh, was able to call in the other day. And he and I had a kind of whole long conversation about the Ascension. We're going to bring you the first part of that today, and then the rest is going to be available only exclusively, exclusively on the podcast. And uh, finally, we have a homily today from Father Kirby. You have heard me say time and time again, do not receive Holy Communion if you're in a state of grave sin because that's the grave sin of sacrilege. And he's going to talk about that, and it's fantastic. And I can't wait to share that with you in the second half of the show. But before we get to any of that, let's go to Mike Roberts. Today is the feast day of St. Pope John I, who was a martyr. Born in Italy late in the 5th century, his entire life was caught up in the battle against the Arian heresy which denied the divinity of Jesus. When he became Pope in 523, the ruler of Italy, Gothic King Theodoric, had been a supporter of the Arian heresy for nearly three decades. Almost immediately after John was elected Pope, Theodoric ordered him to go to Constantinople to seek a meeting with Justice I, leader of the Eastern Roman Empire, a friend to the Pope, and firmly against Arianism, to ask him to soften his treatment of Arians under his rule. Pope John I went, but the outcome of that meeting was never fully discovered. And on his way home, Theodoric, who had grown suspicious of the Pope, 
had him imprisoned and severely treated. Pope John I died in prison on this day in 526 as a direct result of his treatment in prison. St. Pope John I, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Prayer for Charity O my Jesus, Thou art very true love, enkindled in my heart the divine fire which consumes the saints and transforms them into You. O Lord our God, we offer Thee our hearts, united in the strongness and most sincere love of brotherhood. We pray that Jesus, in the Blessed Sacrament, may be the daily food of our souls and bodies, that Jesus may be established as the center of our affections, even as he was for Mary and Joseph. Finally, O Lord, may sin never disturb our union on earth, and may we be eternally united in heaven with thee and Mary and Joseph and with all the saints. Amen. It was just a year ago that we had Father Wade Menezes grace us here in our studios as we were preparing for his talks at the St. Louis Marian Conference. And uh, Father's not going to be with us this year, although his confrere, Father Bill Casey, is going to be with us, and we look forward to that. And Father, I I understand you're going to be at a Marian Conference of your own this weekend as well. I am. Thank you so much, Adam, for mentioning that. I'm going to be at Our Lady of Champion Shrine in Champion, Wisconsin, which is the only fully, fully approved Marian apparition site in the United States. Approved a few years ago following uh, a commission that he set up to examine the 1859 apparitions, which were three in number, uh, to a woman named Adele Bryce and fully approved by Bishop David Ricken of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And now she has her own uh, national feast day, uh, October 9th of each year, but uh, the shrine is going to maintain their annual May, which is the month of Mary, of course, October being the month of October. They're going to maintain their annual May Marian conference. And so that's what I'm going to be speaking at this coming weekend, along with one of my confreres from the Fathers of Mercy, Father Joseph Itona, who's actually the rector there at the shrine. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Now, you may think that Father Wade and I are going to discuss the Blessed Mother today, and that would be a wonderful topic. It's always wonderful to discuss our Blessed Mother and our devotion to her. But today, we are going to talk about something that is very timely to our liturgical calendar, and that is the Ascension of our Lord. Now, Father Wade, as we talk about the Ascension, I have to tell you, every year I I get a little bit thrown off because, you know— we observe it in several places in the United States on the following Sunday. So today, as, as we air this on Thursday, this is the day we celebrate the Ascension. But liturgically, for many of us, it's transferred to the following Sunday. But, but today is the day. That is correct. The 40th day after Easter. And I'll talk a little bit about that as we talk about this wonderful, wonderful feast day of our Lord Jesus Christ, which I just love so much precisely because it shows what awaits our own human body and soul composite, which he took on himself in the sacred incarnation. It shows us that we too can literally, not metaphorically, enter into heaven for all eternity. And that's the main point of the Ascension. Listen to this, Adam. The Feast of the Ascension of our Lord commemorates the bodily ascent of Jesus into heaven 40 days after his glorious resurrection from the dead. Having completed his earthly mission, Jesus returned to heaven to his heavenly Father with his eternal human body and soul composite. In this way, he opens up the gates of heaven 
literally to all of us humans with a human body and soul and shows us, each one of us then, precisely what awaits our own glorious human bodies and souls. Huh? Uh, the Feast of the Ascension is for all Christians a symbol of great hope because it reminds us that Christ sits at his Father's right hand in his human nature and in his human body interceding on our behalf. And that's a wonderful, wonderful truth, capital T, of our one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. As members of Christ's risen body, of course, the church, uh, we await the day when we too will be able to enjoy eternal happiness by his side in heaven, in our own bodies and souls, reunited with Christ's second coming, following that great parousia event, following his second coming, to be able to enter in heaven definitively. Because, of course, after our own particular judgment, prior to the second coming of Christ, for those who die prior to the second coming of Christ, uh, it's only our souls that can enter heaven if we go to heaven. Uh, but the body will be reunited with the soul following Christ's second coming. And following New Testament accounts, of course, we celebrate the Ascension Day on the 40th day of the Easter season, which is always, always a Thursday, as you just intimated, because Easter itself is always, always on a Sunday, right? Uh, while some ecclesiastical provinces in the United States, which are made up of different dioceses, uh, have moved the observance to the following Sunday, a few have kept it on the Thursday, which I think is a great thing. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 50 and 51 tells us, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, raised his hands and blessed them. And as he blessed them, he parted from them and was taken up to heaven. Okay, that's, that's the great uh, ascension event of our Lord. And after his resurrection into heaven on Easter Sunday, we know that Jesus spent 40 days appearing to his disciples, not only the apostles, but other followers as well, called his disciples. And during this time, his glorified resurrected body was veiled under the ordinary appearance of humanity. But after his final words to his disciples in Acts 1, verses 7 and 8, for example, the New Testament reports, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, it's interesting, Adam, that during this 40 days of what we call his post-resurrection appearances, he did different things with his body that in his glorified risen state, not yet ascended which tells us what our own glorified transfigured body will do in its own glorified transfigured state. For example, I'll give you a little tidbit here, but then I want to talk about these more at length. For example, he passed through locked doors when he appeared to the doubting Thomas, St. Thomas the Apostle. Doesn't that sound like great fun, huh? <laughs> Passing through solid objects. Okay, so there's four of these called dotes, D-O-T-E-S in the Latin. The word means gifts. There are four gifts of the risen glorified body, which we'll get to in a few moments. But, but this is the great feast of the ascension of the fact that we too will one day enter heaven, body and soul composite like our Lord in his own body, soul composite in his sacred humanity, which his divinity took on, okay, in his sacred incarnation. He's entering into heaven for all eternity in his body, soul composite, which shows us literally, not metaphorically, that our own body, soul, compositeness, our own humanity, okay, can enter into heaven for all eternity. And this is a great truth of our one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. 
So you're taking me to that prayer that, that you pray. We, we don't pray it as members of the lady, but when you, Father, offer Mass during the preparation of the gifts by the mingling of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. And, I mean, it sounds like this is the real lived experience we get to look forward to. It's not just a nice set of words that you pray at the Mass. It's a foreshadowing of what is to come, God willing, when we become saints. Well, right. That's exactly why some of the church fathers called the ascension uh, 40 days after our Lord's resurrection, the pivotal event in Christ's life, the pivotal event, because it shows forth that we, while sharing through the sacramental economy in God's sanctifying grace, which makes us actual participators in his own divine life, we can one day enter heaven for all eternity for those who remain faithful. And as our Lord's sacred humanity is seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven, our own sacred humanity, okay, uh, human nature is sacred. We're made in God's image and likeness. Uh, our own sacred humanity, lowercase s if you want, where our Lord's sacred humanity is a capital S, our own sacred humanity is called to enter heaven as well. Uh, you know, notice too, I want to say this, where uh, the word ascension is an active verb, whereas uh, the word assumption is a passive verb to describe our blessed uh, mothers entering into heaven, body and soul, okay, of, of following the expiration of her earthly life, meaning she was assumed by God into heaven, where our Lord's ascension is an active verb, he did it himself as God, united with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So it's important to make that distinction of the ascension versus the assumption. Mary couldn't have done it on her own. The assumption is a passive verb. She was assumed by the Trinitarian Godhead into heaven upon the expiration of her earthly life. But our Lord, in his second divine personage, ascended actively on his own, united as one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, because wherever there is one divine person, the other two are present as well. So that distinction of the passive versus the active verb needs to be made as well. Now, you didn't tell me we were going to be diagramming sentences here today, but I always enjoyed that part of English class back in uh, in eight, seventh and eighth grade. Father, you brought up these things that we have to look forward to uh, with our resurrected bodies. And uh, I, I'm really excited about this part of the conversation because just the other night doing a little family catechesis of the impromptu variety, one of my daughters asked, uh, you know, does God use magic? And it said, no, God uses miracles. He, he works with the miraculous. It's, it's not magic. And trying to get that little brain to comprehend uh, what, what exactly are we talking about here? So when you talk about walking through a locked door, I mean, I'm thinking uh, of all those specials I used to watch on TV as a kid of now we're going to make this statue disappear before your very eyes using uh, various tricks and gimmicks and, and whatnot. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the miraculous. So what is it we yeah. have to look forward to? Well, there, there's four distinctive properties or qualities or gifts uh, referred to as dotes in the Latin, D-O-T-E-S, um, which regard the glorified risen state of the body-soul composite reunited, but in its glorified risen state, okay, that our Lord demonstrated during his 40 days after the ascension, excuse me, after his resurrection, before he ascended into heaven. And it's 
what are called the post-resurrection accounts. And it's things that he did with his body soul composite in its glorified risen state during these 40 days of the post-resurrection accounts of his appearances to his apostles and disciples that show us precisely what awaits our own glorified risen state when our body and soul composite is reunited after the great parousia, the second coming of Christ. And I'll just comb through these uh, quickly, but I want to make it clear that my book, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell, I spend time uh, talking about each of these four in depth. And so if any of our listeners today, Adam, uh, want to go into a deeper study of these, simply get the book, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell that came out in 2017 and is, is uh, published by EWTN Publishing. Uh, but our Lord demonstrates and St. Paul identifies four distinctive qualities of the risen glorified bodies of the just, the saved. And so since the first century, Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, has developed uh, this revealed doctrine uh, about the qualities of the risen bodies of the just, that is the saved. Uh, these four qualities have been given technical names, impassibility, subtility, agility, and clarity. Okay. And so now I want to dive just a little bit into each one, okay, and direct people to the book if they want to know more about them. But impassibility, uh, the Latin phrase is impassibilitatis, uh, regards the incapability of suffering, the absolute incapability of suffering, okay, for the risen glorified body of the just, of the saved in heaven. That is the body's inaccessibility to physical evils of any and all kinds, such as sorrow, Sickness, injury, or death. So remember, not only psychological suffering, okay, but also physical suffering, the inaccessibility of suffering of any kind to the risen glorified state. Again, whether sorrow, sickness, injury, or death, it may be more closely defined as the impossibility to suffer or to die. Uh, the Latin phrase for this, uh, the impossibility to suffer or to die, is non posse pati mori. All right, and the church has defined this since the end of the first century. Uh, subtility, the second point of the four, of, of the four gifts, uh, regards man's spiritualized nature at the resurrection. The archetype of the spiritualized body is the risen body of Christ, which emerged from the sealed tomb and penetrated closed and or locked doors, like in the upper room when our Lord appeared to the doubting Thomas. Thus, subtility grants the resurrected body, for example, the ability to pass through solid objects. Again, this was seen when Christ passed through the solid and locked doors of the upper room when he first appeared to his apostles. So you got to share these gifts with your kids, Adam. Your kids are going to love these, especially your boys. Your boys are going to love these gifts, okay? Because we just love stuff like this. Okay? I, I'm thinking of all the times my kids stub their toes. You know, this is why you need to strive for sainthood, kids, because with the resurrected body, there, there's no pain if you stub your toe. That's In right. fact, you may just be able to pass through whatever object you, you stubbed your toe on. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, number three is clarity, uh, referred to in the Latin as claritas. Uh, clarity or claritas regards the glorified body being free from everything deformed and being filled with complete and resplendent beauty and radiance. All right. Uh, each person's clarity will vary according to the degree of glory in the soul at the time of death. And this in turn will depend on a person's merit before God and one's charity practiced while still having been living on earth. This is why charity is so important. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is 
love, because love continues to abide in heaven where hope and faith do not, because the object of faith, God, and the object of hope, uh, God, will have been attained in heaven. So there's no, no reason to have faith or hope in heaven, because God is their subject, God is their end, and we will have attained God in heaven. But does love remain in heaven? Oh yeah, because God is love, 1 John 4, and God is in heaven, okay? So cherry, again, clarity regards the glorified body being free from everything deformed and being filled with complete and resplendent beauty and radiance. Each person's clarity will vary according to the degree of glory in the soul in heaven, and this in turn will depend on a person's merit before God at the time of death, and that is based primarily on one's charity practiced while still having been living on earth. This is very, very important, okay? Very important. Uh, clarity then regards the glorified splendor of the resurrected body and its complete lack of imperfections and deformities. Now, I want to make a, a distinction between an imperfection and a deformity, Adam. An imperfection is something obtained after birth, okay? Extra utero, out, outside of the womb, okay? Where deformity is something considered to have been born with, okay, from the womb, okay? So whether imperfection after birth or deformity from birth, either or, they will be completely lacking through this dotes, this gift of clarity. So for example, let's say somebody is born with a club foot, but they're saved following their life. No more club foot. That would be considered technically, philosophically speaking, a deformity. How about an imperfection? Let's say you're in a car accident, Praise God, you didn't die in the car accident, but it left you a scar, let's say, from your lower left earlobe down to your mid-neck, okay? And you had that, let's say, when you were 14 in that car accident. You die at age 89. You enter heaven. No more imperfection of that scar from the lower left earlobe down to your middle neck. So I just want to make that philosophical distinction between a deformity from birth or an imperfection after birth. Listen to this again. Uh, whatever imperfection or deformities the body had on earth will be taken away and will not be present in heaven. Extremely important note, however, extremely important note, listen to this. We must note, however, that Christ's wounds do abide in heaven, and they too are glorified, and that they remain a sign of his triumph. Thus, Christ's wounds on his resurrected and transfigured body are not considered signs of imperfection, because he would have obtained them after birth, right? When he died on the cross on Good Friday. So we already know they're not deformities. If anything, they're imperfections because they were acquired by him from the cross after death. They are not considered imperfections because they are signs of his triumph. Uh, listen to this. This is very, very telling. It must be remembered that Jesus' wounds are the very tools which brought the apostle Thomas to believe in Christ's own resurrection, John chapter 20. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, the Lord kept in his glorified and transfigured body the marks of his wounds from his death for four primary reasons. Number one, to serve as an everlasting testimony of his victory over sin and death. Number two, to serve as a proof that he is the same Christ who suffered and was crucified and who now is glorified and risen, or risen and glorified. Number three, to serve as a constant and concrete plea on behalf of the eternal Father for all of the saved of mankind or humankind. And number four, are you ready for this? Christ retains his wounds from the cross in his glorified risen state, Adam, 
to serve as a means of upbraiding the reprobates, the damned, on the last day, the second coming, showing them what he did for them, thus reminding him, reminding them, excuse me, of what they still wickedly despised and rejected, his wounds, his dying from the cross. Okay, so those are the four reasons why Christ retains his wounds. This is a, this is a very deep, profound doctrine, this doctrine of the ascension, and it cannot be forgotten. He keeps his wounds in his glorified risen state, his wounds, which would not be deformities, but imperfections, to serve as an everlasting testimony of his victory over sin and death, to serve as a proof that he is the same Christ who suffered and was crucified and died. Number three, to serve as a constant and concrete plea on behalf uh, of all of the saved of humankind before the eternal Father in heaven, and to serve as a means of upbraiding the reprobates, the damned, on the last day, showing them what he did for them, thus reminding them of what they have wickedly despised and rejected nonetheless. And this is very, very telling. Did I go over agility or did I give you three or did I give you four? I, I think you gave uh, us four, but let, let's go with agility just in case, uh, because, you okay. know, as, as I get into my older. Oh, no, uh, I didn't cover. We, we didn't, well, let's didn't do that, agility. because as I'm getting into my middle aged, less agile body, it gives me something to look forward to uh, with, with the hope of the resurrection. Let's recap these first three impassibility, uh, subtility and clarity. Okay, and then the fact that Christ's wounds remain, which isn't really one of the four, but I, it just it builds off of clarity because clarity means no deformities or no imperfections. Okay, I forgot agility. This is one of my favorites, especially if we play uh, basketball here at the Fathers of Mercy, even like two on two basketball. Listen to this. I, I love this. Agility in the Latin is agilitas. Agility is the capability of the body to obey the soul with the greatest ease and speed of movement that depends only on an act of the will. It forms a contrast to the heaviness of the earthly body, which is conditioned by the law of gravity. And we know about the condition of the law of gravity, Adam, as we get older, okay? <laughs> Both men and women, I think. <laughs> The characteristic of agility was manifested by the risen body of Christ, which was suddenly present in the midst of his apostles and which disappeared just as quickly. For example, um, he disappeared from the upper room after he appeared to the doubting Thomas, but also on the road to Emmaus. Once the two disciples on the road to Emmaus invite him in to have supper with them, uh, after they break the bread, they recognize him in the breaking the bread. And the very next line is, scripture tells us, he vanished from their sight, huh? And so the intrinsic reason of agility lies in the perfect dominion of the transfigured soul over the body to the extent that it moves the body through space with the speed only of thought by an act of the will. So can you imagine basketball game, right? Just, to, I want to be by that hoop right now and bam, you're right by the hoop, okay? <laughs> Even though you were across the court, how awesome would that be, right? So the question is, is there basketball in heaven? Well, that's, that, that's what I was going to ask you about, because we're talking about these four four great things, you know, and, and, and I'm looking forward to no pain when stubbing my toe or, or bumping my elbow into the door frame, uh, because I could just pass through the door frame, and I'd have that that will of the mind over my body and not not competing with the laws of gravity 
and all of the, the deformity and imperfection gone. But, Father, when we look forward to the hope of the resurrection, and, and let's, let's assume for a moment that we do die in a state of grace, and uh, whether we spend that time in purgatory or go straight to heaven, that we get to experience that beatific bliss, that, that, that presence of our Lord. Will there be basketball to play? Will there be locked doors to pass through? Will there be uh, you know shoes lying across the living room floor to stub my toe on? Well, here's, here's the answer to that question. Anything that brings you happiness right now in this life, like a good basketball game, like the ability, if you could imagine or pretend now that you could pass through solid objects even now before the second coming of Christ, that sounds like pretty much fun to me that would bring me happiness. I could do it. I could do the agility now with the speed of thought and movement right now while playing basketball. It would bring me happiness now. Anything that can bring you happiness now while still living on earth prior to your death can only bring you a greater happiness in heaven. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has it even dawned on the human mind what God has prepared for those who love him. The New Testament's definition of heaven. And that's what we remember. If it brings you happiness now, that happiness will be surpassed in heaven. Even if the thing itself ends up not being in heaven, the happiness that have brought you while on earth will be surpassed in heaven. So you wouldn't even miss it. That's the answer to that a time-honored question that's been asked since time immemorial, and we look to the New Testament uh, for that answer. I guarantee you my children are listening to this right now saying we're going to have the best game of hide-and-seek ever in <laughs> heaven someday where we can hide. And, 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 and when I hear you walking through the wall, I'll just will to be gone and into a different room, and it'll happen like that. Yeah, amen, amen. Two great, pope, uh, two great popes and quotes uh, on the Ascension— Pope Benedict XVI says, this is why he says the ascension is so important to us as human persons. The temporary absence of Christ from the Lord, from his ascension until he comes again at his second coming, is not to be looked at solely in that regard. Rather, we can go to heaven to the extent that we go to Jesus Christ and enter into him now awaiting these glories that he foreshadows for us. So even contemplating the ascension now, in the here and now while still living on earth, should bring us a great, great joy of the hope and joy that is to come. And then Pope Francis says, the ascension of Jesus into heaven acquaints us with this deeply consoling reality of our earthly journey. In Christ, true God and true man, our humanity was taken up to God. Christ opened up the path to heaven for us. If we entrust our life to him and the here and now, if we let ourselves be guided by him here and now, we are certain to be in safe hands in the hands of our Savior who went on that path to heaven, confident that he will place us on that same path as well. I love those two quotes from Pope Benedict XVI and Pope Francis, Adam, because they both regard living still in the here and now and how the thought of our Lord's ascension gives us the great, great virtue of hope. It's kind of like realizing that the kairos of God, the time of God, and the chronos, the chronological time of man, merge even here and now while still living. And that, that's a truth of our faith that brings us great, great hope. 
Here's something I love about all of this, Father. We, we started out with this idea that for many of us, even though today is Ascension Thursday, we will observe the Ascension liturgically on Sunday. But after our entire discussion here, I'm like, well, we should just observe the Ascension every day, every day that we have hope, every day that we have faith, that we could be numbered among the saints. That's a reason to celebrate the Ascension. You're exactly right. It, again, it, you know, the the sacred liturgy is above all things the worship of the divine majesty, whether it's Ascension Thursday, Ascension Sunday, a Sunday in ordinary time, a weekday mass on a Wednesday after work. The here and now is so important, and the here and now shows that the kairos of God and the chronos of man do collide, especially during the sacred liturgy, the celebration of the Eucharist, the source and summit of the entire Christian life. And that that cannot be forgotten forgotten of. And the sainthood that we pray for every morning during our morning offering that we hope to partake of as a citizen of heaven following the second coming of Christ with our body and soul reunited, but even with just the soul in heaven prior to the second coming, also a citizen of heaven, we got to realize that we're meant to contemplate these heavenly realities even now. There's a great quote also from Pope St. Leo the Great. He says, with all due solemnity on this day of the ascension, we are commemorating that very day in which our own poor human nature was carried up into heaven for all eternity. In Christ, above all the hosts of heaven, above all the ranks of angels he is, beyond the highest heavenly powers to the very throne of God the Father, he now sits. He calls us to this same place. It is upon this ordered structure of divine action by him that we have been firmly established in our own sacred humanity. That leaves us beyond a shadow of a doubt where we're meant to go where we are meant to go one day and spend eternity, and that is heaven, the place where eye has not seen and, and ear has not heard, nor has it even dawned on the human mind what God has prepared for those who love him. You know I love bluegrass, Father. It adds a whole new dimension to that song, This Train is Bound for Glory. And <laughs> there, I, there you go. I want to get my ticket to ride that train, so uh, we we better go live a life of holiness today. Well, Father Wade, I I want to thank you for being with us to uh, break open the Ascension. This has been fascinating, and it gives me a lot to be joyful about today, a lot to look forward to as we strive to live a life of holiness. And as always, if I could ask you to end our time together with uh, a prayer and a blessing for our listeners, we would be grateful. Certainly, Adam, may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Roadmap to Heaven listeners this day and always and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. And as I end Open Line Tuesday, I end this show, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. I've got my pen here too, Father, that you sent me, and I love it. We use it daily. We pray that prayer, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. St. Joseph's a good one to have on your side. And anybody that can make the demons afraid just by the very act of sleeping, that's someone whose team I want to be on. Father Wade, I I thank you for being with us today. And uh, for more on the Fathers of Mercy, you can visit fathersofmercy.com. And Father Wade's going to be back with us next week to talk about Pentecost. So we we look forward to that as well. 
Yeah, the Pentecost follows the ascension, and uh, that's a great, great thing. Most dioceses, as you uh, said earlier, Adam, celebrate the ascension on Sunday, and then the following Sunday is always Pentecost, uh, and the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the life of the church. We'll talk, we'll kind of crack open the the seven gifts and the twelve fruits uh, of the Holy Spirit. These nineteen uh, great things uh, that feed us daily in our walk in life. All right. Well, until then, friends, we hope you've enjoyed this time we've spent with Father Wade, whether it's on the podcast or here on uh, YouTube watching the video. And we encourage you to check out all of our other content from Covenant Network wherever you get great content, whether that's right on the radio or on a podcast or on YouTube. We're there. Just look for at Our Catholic Radio. Until next time, I'm Adam Wright. Have a blessed day. Prayer for Vocations. God, our Father, who wills that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of your truth, we beg you to send laborers into your harvest and grant them grace to speak your word with all boldness so that your word may spread and be glorified and all nations may know you, the only God, and him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of the Americas, and Mary, Mother of the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word, pray for us. You know, I just want to comfort you and, and validate, if you were dancing wherever you were just now, whether it's in your office chair, the driver's seat, or the passenger seat of the car, or at home as you're getting ready, it's okay to dance during Roadmap to Heaven. We approve of that. Here's a very quick catechiz this morning. Before his ascension, in the final two verses of Matthew's Gospel, our Lord gives us what we call the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? What's the commandment? Here it is. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. That's the mandate. That's the mission. We've been given it by our Lord. Here's Mike Roberts with another check of the weather and then our daily dose of encouragement. Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Oh, what consolation, what sweetness, what confidence, what emotion fill my soul when I pronounce thy sacred name or even only think of thee. I thank God for having given thee for my good, so sweet, so powerful, so lovely a name. But I will not be content with merely pronouncing thy name. Let my love for thee prompt me ever to hail thee, mother of perpetual help. It's time for the Daily Dose of Encouragement with Patty Schneier. And this week we continue to discuss Father Emil Capen. Patty, what will we learn about Father today? Well, we're going through his life with some of the details of his life to learn about this holy man, this servant of God. We talked yesterday how he was in battle and confronted evil right in front of him, and yet he showed heroism in consoling and burying the dead of both enemy and ally and, and doing so many heroic things in the midst of evil. Here's what happened later on in his life, or still actually I should say in the midst of the, of the time he spent as a military chaplain in the Korean War. On November 2nd, 1950, he was protecting the town of Unsan. Father Capen was captured by the communists, and he was then marched over 60 miles north in bitter cold with other prisoners of war, many of whom died along the way in that very long march, 60 miles in the cold. 
Father Capen went along the line encouraging the soldiers to help carry those who couldn't walk on their own, all the while doing his own part to carry the wounded himself. Once at the prison site, Father Capen became the hero of prison camp number five. Long before the normal day began, here's what Father Capen did. He was up at 5.30 and gathered sticks for fires. And what he would do is he would melt the snow into clean water so that the men had clean water to drink. Using his handy farm talent, he fashioned vessels out of old iron sheet metal so that he could launder the clothing of the sick and the wounded and have a place to store purified water. He would slip out of the camp to scrounge for corn, salt, millet, and soybeans for the starving POWs. He traveled around to the different huts of the other prisoners to give aid to the sick. He picked lice off of the men. He washed the clothes of the weak. He bathed those who were too ill to bathe themselves. When men died, he volunteered for the burial duty so that he could say prayers over their graves. And at night, he sneaked to different huts in the camp to say prayers with everyone. He would adapt his prayers for men of other faiths and give everyone his priestly blessing. During the twice daily indoctrination sessions, when the communist captors would yell and taunt them and they would try to convince the prisoners of the evils of capitalism and religion, Father Capon once replied, God is as real as the air you breathe but cannot see. He is as real as the sounds you hear but cannot see, as the thoughts and ideas you have but cannot see or feel. And although it was forbidden, he secretly held an Easter service for the men in the camp in 1951. All right, what inspired me most about these details of his life is that love is stronger than fear. His captors could not prevent him from showing love to others. The smallest acts of love, washing someone's clothes, bathing the sick, praying with others, burying the dead, he did those things out of love. Love is also very creative. What can I do to get water, he must have been thinking. What can I do to store the water? What can I say to someone who is yelling at me and taunting me about God? He was so creative because love finds a way. So the message for us, how can you and I be creative and show our love in circumstances of our daily lives? So let Father Capon's example inspire us to pray with others. We don't have to be a chaplain to pray with others who are hurting anytime, anywhere. We can pray with others. And then let our love be creative with whatever means possible at our disposal. Absolutely wonderful, Patty. This is a great reflection for us today and a great reminder of that calling that we all have. Thank you for this dose of encouragement. Well, that wraps up the show for today. And, uh, you know, there was a moment in the ball game last night where I was almost certain that the Brewers hit a home run. And it, you know, from my vantage point, it, it looked like it was bad news for us. It looked like a two-run home run that we were going to be behind. And then they came out, they challenged the call. There was a review of the call, and the call was overturned. The home run did not stand, and then we got out of the inning. And it just goes to show that sometimes things aren't exactly what they seem. And we need to do a little bit more 
investigating. You know, sometimes in my spiritual life, I'm struggling with a particular sin or, or vice or whatnot, and I may think, oh, it's, it's this. But after a deeper examination, a little bit of a replay every night with the examination of conscience, I find out that at the root of it might be something completely different or something I didn't even think of. And that is why uh, every day we should do a replay. Every day we should do a review on replay with our examination of conscience before we go to bed. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, don't forget to check out our video with Father Wade on our YouTube channel. You can hear the whole whole interview about the Ascension. Find out if there's basketball in heaven. Adam, what are you talking about? Well, to find out, you got to go check out the video or just listen to the podcast a little bit later today. And for those of you listening to the podcast right now, we'd love to ask you to click like, click follow, click subscribe, and most importantly, please share this podcast episode with a friend. For all of us here at Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today.